This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Luke chapter 7 and verse 1. Uh, this is one of those messages that kind of convicts me as I preach it. So, Luke 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to, of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to, to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. Father, will you be with us today as we gather around your word? Would you prick and provoke our spirits so that we could grow in Jesus? Would you challenge us to see what's laying there and strip bare the thoughts and intentions of our heart, Lord? And then build us up in your most holy faith and send us out of here a people who want to reckon with a lost world that doesn't believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Immediately, uh, you know, Jesus' ministry vacillates between, and the way it's recorded in the scripture anyway, is vacillates between teaching times and then demonstration times, healing times, uh, ministry times, uh, casting out demons, and then back to some teaching. In fact, uh, some folks div- uh, take the book of Matthew and divide it into the five different teaching times. And then so when we look at these, these teaching times and these, these demonstration times, there's, a, there's some reason why they're, they're there, placed there in that spot. We don't always understand them. But this one jumped off the page to me. This thing in Luke chapter 7, verse 1, because it's, it's, it smacks of the way that we approach Jesus when we need healing or when we need a miracle or when we need something. Right away, uh, Jesus is, is, has now transitioned from a teaching time, that's that whole first sentence, and then moves now to this portion where uh, this servant is discovered that he's sick, and so there has to be some kind of a healing for this servant. And uh, these, these folk come and they get Jesus, and so he, he goes with them. It says Jesus went with them. But before Jesus goes with them, they plead their case why this fellow deserves to be healed. And see if this doesn't 
ring true with the way that you approach God for healing. Uh, this guy deserves to be healed because he loves the Jewish people. He's uh, basically one of us, Lord. I mean, he's like, he like is really committed to, he's, he's like a righteous dude. And he, he is a good dude. He's a good person. And a good person shouldn't be sick. A good person should be well. And they have a right to come to you, Lord, because they, they teach Sunday school. They, 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 they do good things. They help little old ladies across the street. They, they memorize the memory verse this week, Lord. They, they deserve to be healed. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't even address that. He built a synagogue. He's got works. He helped the church. He made a good donation, Lord. He deserves to be healed. Made a big donation to the church. And we, could, we should probably dedicate that whole wing to him, Lord, because he's, he's a big philanthropist. He's a person who loves to, to, to give money to good causes, and he recognized a good cause in the synagogue. And so he donated all that money in there, and he's, and he's put, put all that to work for us, Lord. And, and so would you just come and just heal him because he's a good guy? Look at your neighbor and say, you look like a good guy. Now, if it was a woman, she's probably mad at you. But I mean, you know what I mean? You look like a good person. Certainly, this is the first century rabbinic mindset that there's a works theology based in that that says, you know, that I, there are times when I can come to God for healing and there are times when I can't come to God for healing. There are times when I'm, I come to God because in, in coming to Him, He'll recognize how good I am. And when he recognizes the good name, and when he says, oh, yeah, everyone's praying but this guy. He's one of my favorites. He's a pastor. He's nudging the angels. That's how we imagine things in heaven, right? Look, he's a pastor. We've got to give him, you know, cut him a little slack. He's working. Or maybe we're not working, and we come to the Lord. We're in need of healing. We come to him like, Lord, I know... I should have worked harder this week. I had that opportunity to witness, and instead I went and bought a hot dog or whatever it is, you know. And we begin to condemn ourselves because of that. And so we don't approach God. There takes a certain amount of confidence to approach God. And so we don't approach God. Jesus misses a tremendous teaching opportunity here. Jesus could have said, Whoa, dudes! This is not the way it happens. This is not the way. You don't come for healing just when you're worthy. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. I wonder if Jesus knew that that's the way 21st century Christians were going to think about healing, that you had to deserve healing. In fact, if we're really honest and we really, we really understand grace, nobody in there deserved healing. Nobody in this book deserves healing. Nobody in this place deserves healing. None of us can come with a list of all the things we did. Hey, I was there at work day yesterday. Conviction. That was conviction you felt right there. <laughs> I was there at work day yesterday, and, and so I deserve to get healed. I deserve to get healed because I showed up. I was there. I gave in the offering. I hugged the smelly guy. Sometimes I get mad at who God heals. You do that? Like you're like, I know this guy, he's a really good guy, and, and we've been praying for him for months, and then 
this knucklehead just walks in and he's like, oh, no, no, you know, and then he, and he, and, 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 and God touches him, changes his life. We're still praying for this guy, but knucklehead dude gets healed. Then he doesn't even come back to church. Woo, praise the Lord, he walks out, we never see him again. Come on, Lord. That's bad marketing. Why does this guy get healed and that one doesn't? I, I sometimes get away with a beef with the way that God appropriates his grace. But then I get reminded that they're not my resources that are stored up in heaven. They're his. You know what I hate? I hate when someone tells me how to spend my money. Don't you hate that? Oh, you, oh, you bought that. They give you the stink eye, you know? Like, dude, that's my money. I work for that money. It's mine. I'll spend it any way I want to. In fact, just because you said that, I'm going to go back and buy another one, just like that one. <laughs> right? Because it's mine. That's the way we, that's the way, that's the way God ministers. He's like, I got all these resources in heaven. I'm going to give it to that guy. To the knucklehead? Yes, to the knucklehead. I... It's my knucklehead. I love that knucklehead. I love him, and I, I want to I bless him. And if I want to bless him, well, then I can bless him. Because I'm a million, I'm a billion, I'm a trillion, I'm rich. Because I'm rich. In heaven, I have all this stuff that I can give. Well, he deserves it. She doesn't. Jesus, in another place, says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? Right? Uh, people who need healing, some of them are believers, some of them aren't, right? Uh, people who get well, some of them are good people, some are bad people. It it's blows our minds. Who sinned, they said in John 9, this this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? In other words, that, that's the human nature to try to say, we, there has to be a reason why dude is sick. So, why, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say this guy is sick because, because either he sinned or his parents sinned. That way we have a reason because we need a reason to hang our, our, our blame on. You do that, you blame people, Right? Well, they're broke. Yeah, but some of them want to be broke. Oh, they're homeless. Some of them want to be homeless. Yeah, but not all of them want to be homeless. Well, some of them want to be homeless. They're hungry. They're needy. They're hurting. Yeah, but isn't that... Didn't, didn't they bring that upon themselves? Yeah. Just the same way you brought all that stupidity upon your life. Literally, it is there, but for the grace of God go I. You know, it, 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 is, it is, we have to recognize where we are, who we are, who we walk among, and then realize that, that we could be in that same circumstance. It's not that man who sinned. It's not his parents that sinned. He's born blind so that the glory of God can be manifest in his life through this healing process. That's what Jesus teaches in John chapter 9. See, Jesus doesn't demand perfection. Somebody say, praise the Lord for that. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We celebrate that, you know. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharp. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, to the joints and the marrow. In other words, it splits the stuff that can't be split. It gets right in there. We, the part with this verse we don't celebrate is this part. It says, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what the word does when it gets in there. We think it's bringing flowers and rainbows and butterflies into our life. But it comes with judgment. It comes into the crack of our life, and then it goes, that stinks. When you really receive the word, I don't mean sitting in a church and listen to the sermon or buy the CD and play it over in your car so that you have heard it. I, what I'm talking about is when you really receive the word, it finds the crack in your soul, and it goes down into the... The, the base of your soul, and then it begins to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that's why it repulses us sometimes. That's why the word sometimes turns our stomach sour and makes us want to puke. That's why when we walk by a mirror after the word has pierced our soul, we look in our, our eyes and we say, I can't believe I judged that person because I used to do the same thing. I, truthfully, I sometimes still do the same thing they're doing. And it breaks our heart. God knows that the thoughts and attitudes of our heart need to be exposed. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Wow. You, just the same way you were in the shower this morning before you came over here, just standing there all drippy and buck naked. That's how God sees you this morning, even though you've dolled yourself up a little bit for church so you could look holier than you really are. So you smelled refreshingly holy. God knows who you are. He sees who you are. Now we appreciate you dolling up because it smells better in here when you do that. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, it says. Every motive Every judgment in my heart, every attitude, every inclination is weighed against the presence of God and the power of his word. We bury things under layers of spiritual obfuscation, uh, ways to complicate it psychologically so we can't really see who we really are. He knows the reason that uh, I'm being obedient. Sometimes I'm being obedient just because I don't want anybody to see me being disobedient. Right? Sometimes I'm obedient just because it's habit. Sometimes there are people here who came to church today because it's Sunday and they always come to church. But they didn't come to seek the Lord. They just came, you know, maybe touch base with a couple friends. And it doesn't make them evil. We're not going to stone them after the service. Thought never occurred to me. He knows that sometimes I hide in my obedience so that, so that I don't have to face down who I really am. He knows that sometimes I pride myself in doing good things so that, so that no one will see the wretch that I really am on the inside. He knows the secret thoughts. He knows the intentions of my heart. He knows my motives. He knows everything about me. And he knows that about you too. Jesus says to this imperfect fella, 
You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. So he doesn't correct his theology right away. He just walks with them and lets the story play out. Sometimes that's what ministry is, walking with someone for a while and see how the story plays out. Wait for the opportunity, for the door to open. Wait for the relationship to develop so they can trust the words that you say. So you're not just a preacher on TV, but you're a living human being who loves Jesus, but who also loves them. And, and so he walks with them for a little bit. This is faith. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance for, about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, it tells us in Hebrews 11. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken... He was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the confidence of, and the assurance of the things that we have placed our hope in. It's walking in the confidence. It's walking in the assurance of those things that we have placed, knowing that there is a God, that he rewards those who diligently seek him, knowing that we walk according to that plan, even when the healing goes to the wrong guy at the altar. It could be, maybe it's confusing at the altar who God's healing. I don't know. I don't know what it's like in heaven. But even in the midst of all the confusion, even in the midst of all the understanding, in the midst of all the things that we are wading through, could be, that God is looking for something. In fact, it's certainly that God is looking for something more than our performance. So relax if you underperformed this week. Relax. Relax because you're in the presence of a healing Savior. Relax. Now, go and sin no more, but what I'm, you know, I'm saying relax for right now. Because God is here to do that work. I don't think that Jesus looks at my heart very often and says, great faith. That's what he says about this guy's faith. How about you? A little self-assessment time, just kind of look in your heart for a second. Is there any moment where you can think that Jesus was just like, wow, that dude has some faith. Jesus of Nazareth, probably the world's most formidable faith expert, don't you think? Right? Jesus knows faith when he sees it. Right? When Jesus looks at my life, are there moments when he says, wow, I can't believe that you believe like that. You know, there are levels where we believe And all believers believe like that, you know. Even the demons believe down here. But, I mean, we believe, and we're giving our life to the Lord at least. You know, we confess, we give it 100% to him, but maybe we're operating at 20% or whatever. But we believe. 
But this cat, is. Jesus says to him, your your faith blows my mind. Only two people in the Gospels that Jesus ever said. In fact, only two people really amazed Jesus in the Scripture. Sometimes he was amazed at people's lack of faith. But only two people really blew his mind. Remember the, the Syrophoenician woman who said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table? And Jesus was like, wow! That's, out, that's amazing faith. And then it's this guy. This guy who never gets to meet Jesus. This guy, that's, think about it. He says, listen, don't come any closer. You don't need to travel. I get it. I recognize you have spiritual authority. You can speak the word from there. We don't even have to shake hands and meet. I don't have to hug your neck. I don't, you know, we just, all you have to do is speak from there because I recognize that. And if you'll speak from there, healing will happen. And Jesus turns around because the guy's not there for him to, he just has servants there. The, Jesus turns around to the people to gather around and says, even in Israel I have not found this great a faith and now I've found it here amongst these Gentiles. These people who have no right really to know this kind of faith. This guy has this faith. I don't know that God ever looks at my heart and goes, man, you are really something, Dave. <laughs> right? I get more of this kind of stuff like, come on, are you still so dull? <laughs> I, get that, I get that kind of stuff, you know. I get, come on, believe, you know. Come on, just a little, little baby step. There's something on the inside of me that wants to be this guy. I want to hear the word of God come to me. And for me to grab onto it like a bulldog on a pork chop and not let it go. And hang on to that promise. I want to be that guy that Wow, is Jesus. I want Jesus to have to turn around from the throne in heaven and look at a couple angels and go, did you see that guy? Like a bulldog on a pork chop. That's who I want to be. Why? Is that pride? Maybe a little. But I just want to be a person who operates in that level of faith. Faith grows. We have a daycare at our house. When you first drop off your baby at the daycare, everybody cries. Mama cries because she's leaving the little darling for the very first time. I can't believe i got to go back to work. It's okay, Mom. He's okay. He cries because he's never seen Mom walk out the door and leave him like that. And cries and cries and cries. And he's traumatized and just, it's just, and then now, Daycare workers are crying. Please make it stop, Jesus. Please make it stop. <laughs> Everyone cries. A week later, it's like, come on, we're going to go downstairs and play with the toys. And he's like, see you, Mom. What happens? Faith grew. Faith grew. That which once traumatized that little one now no longer traumatizes that little one because he had the experience. He's walked by faith, so to speak, even kicking and screaming and dribbling and 
peeing his pants. Even though, even though that's how he went into faith, he, he's, he's gone into that faith, but he's experienced, hey, she came back for me. Right? It was only for a little while, and actually I had fun, and they fed me good food, and, I, and that's, that's the way it works. That's how it is for you, too. When God asks you to do something, it's always very scary. And you're like, oh no, Jesus, I can't believe it. And then pretty soon, that's just old hat. Faith grows. Faith grows. Or at least it should be growing. If your faith isn't growing, it's because you're not receiving the Word and then walking out in the next few steps. Right? Okay. That was un- Maybe you didn't like that, but it was true. This week I heard the tragic story of a young man who took his own life. He prides himself or prided himself on being able to live a life without faith. Turns out his nihilism, his belief that man is all accidental, that this life is purposeless, that life is without meaning, could not give him, that philosophy could not give him a reason to live. And so he hung himself. People of faith always know it's our faith that tells us that we are loved. Even when you stop loving me, he still loves me. Even when you're done with me, he still has a purpose for me. All this that we live in our life comes down to the faith that we walk in. You don't have to, as the words already challenged us, say, you don't have to live your life by accident. You can be proactive in the way that you live your life. You could say, I'm going to go and tell somebody about Jesus today, even if it's the one guy who's in the elevator with me who, who is afraid of me. I'm going to go share my faith. I'm going to love somebody. I'm going to embrace somebody in Jesus' name. You can know what you're going to do. And you can do that. You don't, the American church is afraid of being rejected. Period. So we don't share our faith because we are afraid that someone will think we're plumb nuts. And so we don't want to be thought of as squirrely, And so we refuse to share our faith. And then we find out that the guy who's two cubicles down lived a faithless existence under a demonic philosophy. And then he killed himself. And our mouth was shut up because we didn't give someone the reason for the hope that is within us. That's powerfully convicting. To the prophet Ezekiel, he said, if I tell you someone is doomed and you don't go tell that person that they're doomed, then that blood is on your hands. If if you do tell them and they don't repent, their blood falls on their own head. If we really believed that this morning, if we didn't live like practical atheists, then we would be telling people about Jesus all the time just to ensure that there was no blood 
on our hands when we stand before the Lord. If we really believe that. So what does great faith look like? Sorry, that last little bit was for nothing for free. Once I start walking away, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. So, What does great faith look like? Great faith is humble. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. It's getting to the point in the United States where the church starts to believe, hey, God owes me something. In fact, I think I've heard that in a few sermons. God owes me this. No, God doesn't owe you anything. God just wants you to believe and recognize who you are. That you're not worthy of Him. Even when we have done everything, Jesus said this, even when we have done everything, we are still unworthy servants. God's investment in your life is already so much that you can never, ever pay Him back. Even if you became a nun today and went moved to Calcutta and worked along the sisters of, in Calcutta, <laughs> whose name escapes me. And some of you would look kind of funny in the nun outfit. But anyway, so even if that's what you did, you couldn't earn a worthiness. You couldn't get any respect, any props from God for doing that. So what is it that that he acknowledges. He acknowledges faith. I'm not even worthy to have you come into my home, Lord. Where's that humility? It's so, humility is so strange in our world that we will be noticed for being humble. People will perceive it as weakness. But you know who you are. You know in whom you have believed. Right? You know what's on the inside of you. The second thing about great faith, great faith is always honoring the image of Jesus. I, I'm not worthy to have you come in my house, Lord, and people will think badly about you walking into the house of a Gentile. So why even soil your reputation? Because the third thing, because great faith recognizes the authority in the word of Jesus. So you don't have to soil your, your reputation. You don't have to meet me. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is speak the word from where you are, Lord. You remember the, the Jewish folk, they, they wanted him to anoint people with oil and you know, tear off ch chunks of the work clothes and grab the hem of his garment. And all, it, was, it had to be that touching thing for faith. It had to be a tangible thing. This guy says, Speak the word from there. We're all good, Lord. I know it'll, you'll take. I know what authority is. I know what spiritual authority looks like. It's just your will. When you speak your will out loud, everything changes in the lives of these my people. Wow, wow. Jesus steps back and says, "This guy has some great faith." And then it doesn't tell us that Jesus said, "Go, your servant is healed." How do you tell a story like this and, not, and leave that detail out? It doesn't say anything. 
Jesus says, well, this guy had some faith. Then the servants go back home, and they find the servant already healed. Jesus said, I know, you believe that all I have to do is speak the word. I'm not even going to speak the word. He's healed. Right? Isn't that mind-blowing? I'm thinking, oh, this guy believes all you have to do is speak the word. Just speak the word, Jesus. Speak the word. The story's wrapping up. We only have a few more verses. Just speak the word. And Jesus does nothing. But the dude still gets healed. How great is our God. Even to the guy who has the greatest faith, Jesus says, I know you believe that, and that is really amazing, and I am totally blown away that you have that level of faith, but I just want to show you something. It's even deeper than that. It's even deeper than that. I'm sure the servants get back and they say, well, so then what did he say? Did he lift his hand in a specific way and do he take his coat off and wave it at you? Did he blow on the microphone? What, what did he actually do then? Well, we told him, you said you, had, you knew, understood authority, and all he had to do was speak the word, and then we all stood there. Uh, all he has to do is speak the word. Well, I, I, I guess we should go home. Because he stopped speaking. He, doesn't, he didn't say anything. And Jesus is like, yeah, even better than that. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to heal him without a word. He's healed right now. I'm not even going to wave my hand. I'm going to look the other direction. I'm going to hold up my mirror and heal him right backwards, right over the shoulder. <laughs> oh, Jesus, you're just showing off now. What is he trying to do? He's trying to show even, no matter how much faith you have, it can grow even more. It can grow even more, even if you have great faith. <laughs> Father, will you help us today? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.